Hey there, welcome to the IFM podcast. Welcome to episode 24. In this episode, I will talk about your ticket submission in week 11. The materials is about the cost of capital. In this episode, there will be three segments. The first one will talk about the component of the capital, as well as how we can estimate the cost of its the components. The second, um, the second segment will talk about the level of cost of capital, and the last segment will talk about the surrounding issues related to spec. This is what we talk about in the tutorial. Why don't we start with the first segment? So we actually have four components that make up uh, capital for companies. The first one being retained earnings. The second one is preferred shares. The third and fourth one would be debt and equity. So we don't really cover preferred shares. Uh, preferred shares is quite unique. It is considered to be a hybrid security, whereby the security actually have a constant stream of payment. And this would actually... Uh, make up you know somehow make the resemblance of uh, bonds but then these preferred shares have voting rights so to some extent this actually um, can be considered as hybrid security so we don't really cover this in the unit so for this unit you can actually um, you know just um, put it aside uh, for your exam preparation what we covered is basically retained earnings so retained earnings is basically earnings that is distributed to the shareholders and with that consideration, uh, we know that retained earnings, if companies want to invest these retained earnings, then the required rate of return should resemble the required rate of return coming from the equity holders. And what is the differentiation between cost of retained earnings and cost of equity? So uh, in terms of issuing equity, companies then would have to be paying the flotation cost this can be administrative or cost that is related to the discounted value of the companies due to information asymmetry. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's fine, relax. We are not actually doing that in-depth discussion about retained earnings and how that will be different to equity, but this would be just for your side knowledge. So retained earnings, All right? So let's go to the, uh, to the materials that we cover in this unit. So for debt um, and equity, so we in this unit, we only have two components for capital, debt and equity. And as companies introduce debt into its capital, then the cost of capital actually goes down. And this is mainly because the interest tax shield, All right? And the idea here is that um, the company cannot keep increasing debt because there, is, there will be this point where an additional debt uh, will no longer lower cost of capital, but it will increase cost of capital because of the potential of bankruptcy that the company would experience if it has too much debt in its capital. So there's this situation of optimal capital structure that can create a very, you know, very minimum cost of capital. Um, academics cannot actually find evidence that this point actually exists uh, but the general behavior from the CFOs is they actually make a conscious effort um, to achieve a certain uh, debt proportion in their capital um, you know to make sure that cost of capital would remain um, at the minimum point 
So there's a um, discussion in terms of the retained earnings, how to use retained earnings. So I guess this will be the same thing as the other types of capital. Uh, you just have to make sure as the, uh, you know, as the CEO of the company that when you invest this investor's fund, um, then the, the, you know, the expected returns from the investment needs to be able to satisfy the required rate of return. So in the case of project analysis, you may want to see the expected return of the project and you can start by looking at the IRR, which we covered a bit in the calculation exercise when we did the spreadsheet. All right. So you just have to make sure that the that the expected returns coming from the investment would satisfy the required return. And this principle is not only applicable for retained earnings investment, but also for investment um, that require uh, debt and equity to be raised. All right. Okay. So in terms of the estimation of costs of debt, uh, so you, I mean. You probably will think these things are very simple because we usually give it in the in the unit. But in real life, so what you need to do is to make sure that you get the market perception of the uh, cost of debt. So this can be seen from the credit, the interest that the creditors charge or from the yield to maturity that bondholders would actually um, have in mind. And this is reflected from the bond price. Okay. Uh, what is more important, uh, you know, do not forget to when you calculate the cost of uh, capital, you need to get the cost of debt after tax because having that in your capital uh, gives you interest tax shield. So please keep that in mind. Uh, in terms of the estimation of cost of equity, um, the unit on the UCAPM, so capital asset pricing model, uh, th this model comes with very restrictive assumptions. Just keep that in mind because what happens is if you probably enter the real world data, uh, then you may not get some uh, reasonable answers from the model. Uh, that's not saying that the model is not useful, but rather the model comes with a very strict set of assumptions. Then you kind of need to know whether the input that you provide meets those assumptions. So given the restriction in the assumptions of CAPM, um, usually practitioners will use different models. Um, there will be some tweak in the beta, for example, or the, you know, the practitioners can use a different model altogether, um, the arbitrage pricing theory model uh, that can be used as well. So what I'm trying to say, uh, please be aware that CAPM is not the only way, all right? Um, so challenges in estimating cost of capital. So as you can see, uh, when companies actually um, announcing that they will engage in a project or whatsoever, um, then markets will react towards that um, information. And from then you can see whether the uh, cost of capital increasing or decreasing. If the project announcement actually is received positively, so there'll be an increase in share price, for example, that means cost of equity is going down because com uh, investors are willing to pay more uh, for, the <coughs> for the company's shares, I'm sorry. All right, so the same principles goes with the cost of debt. All right, so that brings us to the uh, second segment. In terms of the level of cost of capital, I guess um, I've seen some of the questions um, in the submission, and I'm just concerned because <clears throat> this will be the basic, right, um, in this uh, cost of capital discussion. So the question um, goes like this. Uh, why would company aims to have low cost of capital? Well, as the name suggests, cost. If you can lower cost, that means you are generating value to the shareholders. So that's as simple as that. But how that can be done in the context of company? 
So as you can see, if the cost of capital is lower, that means the required rate of return um, that the project's evaluation uh, would um, need to be included in, um, that, that will create a bit more flexibility for companies. So let's just give examples uh, rather than me rambling around. Uh, let's say we have two companies, company A and company B. Company A has 5% uh, cost of capital and company B has a cost of capital of 10%, for example. So company A would be more flexible in taking projects that company B cannot simply because of the required rate of return. And if you take a look at the NPV analysis, so this will be the required rate of return or the discount rate that you charge on your NPV analysis. And the, mathem the mathematical logic will go, uh, if you have a lower um, required rate of return or lower discount rate, then the NPV would be greater, all right? And with the same logic, you can say if the CEO were aiming to have low cost of capital, that will increase the value of the firm. So to some extent, this is why the you know why CEOs or CFOs actually striving um, to lower the cost of capital by varying um, the debt component in their capital, as I mentioned earlier in the first segment. So I hope that this logic actually um, you know makes sense, uh, and you can actually hang on to this. Right, so this uh, brings us to the last segment in terms of the spec discussion. Um, so, um, you know, spec uh, issuance uh, or the spec arrangement with Grab is just one of the success stories. So just uh, make sure you don't make a very, uh, you know, a biased misrepresentation from this case. Okay, um, so a couple of questions here. Um, so why do SPAC is actually preferred than IPO? Uh, well, you need to take into account what's happening in the capital market, especially in the US. Uh, given the pandemic, there are a lot of uncertainty out there. So uncertainties mean information asymmetry and the likelihood of grab it, if the company were to go into IPO, uh, these uncertainties will discount the company value and that will bring up the cost of equity. So to avoid being discounted um, in the U.S. market, they actually go along with the spec. So that's the first consideration. And the second consideration is in terms of the administration costs in order to meet the requirements of disclosure and other market regulators' uh, requirement, and that can be costly. So to avoid mispricing or discounted uh, value and to avoid this administrative cost, uh, then the spec arrangement seems to be more appealing um, than going through the regular IPO process. Um, so uh, the second question is how uh, the spec come uh, the spec decide on target company. Well, they will basically make an evaluation of the future growth of the target company. If the future growth of the target company is good and if the price is uh, great, um, then the merger will actually generate value for the sponsors of the spec or the shareholders, the initial shareholders of the spec. So that's pretty much how they will do the evaluation for the target company. So I, I suspect they will also do the NPV analysis that you, uh, you know, you did before in this unit. Okay. Um, so uh, the last question is in terms of the terms of writing a blank check for the spec managers. Uh, some of you still finding it hard to understand. So uh, you know, put it this way. Uh, a spec company is actually listed um, in the U.S. market, uh, one of the U.S. markets. Um, so when the company is actually listed the first time, uh, the shareholders or the sponsors, uh, the initial shareholders, 
uh, would actually give money to the managers, right? Uh, so these initial shareholders or the sponsors, they don't really know which target company that the managers have in mind, nor they know when the acquisition or mergers will happen. So this is something like writing a blank check or giving money without knowing uh, what the managers will do with the money. So that can be considered as writing a blank check. So I hope that this aspect discussion also triggers a bit more, um, you know, it, you make you want to investigate more in terms of financing. So that, that this is quite interesting. And this is, and the spec has been there for a while. It's only gaining traction of recent because of the uncertainty that the pandemic brings. So that brings me to the closing part of this episode. And I hope this is useful. And as usual, uh, you know, uh, take care, uh, stay safe, stay healthy. I'll see you around. Bye-bye.